0: Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is July 15th, 2023 and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC uh, or I guess you can find me on Threads if I ever use that. Maybe I'll talk about that in a minute uh, at Over the Cap. Uh, and of course you can email me Jason at OvertheCap.com. Over um, hopefully I can actually get back to you. I know I haven't gotten back to a lot of people and that's a uh, par for the course for me these days, but so it goes. Um, No Nelly this week, decided to record upstairs instead of downstairs today. Um, Megan has a dance competition she's been at for the last couple of days, so I've been home, um, and they didn't get back yet. The competition is actually still going on right now, but I think she's done with her dances, so I think I just got word that they will be uh, headed back shortly. It's down in South Jersey, so it's a It's a bit of a a drive, so if they're going to come back tonight, you know, they're looking at a a couple-hour drive, so I would anticipate that they'll be back. Uh, I know Megan had a couple of dances that made the finals for her team, but I don't think they won uh, any of those finals rounds, but I'm sure she had a good time anyway. Uh, Beer of the night. Yeah, this is a sad one. We make a little bultra. Oh, I know. I know. It's a... Sad thing, don't fall out of your chair when you hear that. We'll, we'll be back with our dogfish heads and southern tears and whatever else in a week or two. Um, just just decided to go for a, uh, a light week this week, so uh, we've got the Michelob Ultra. Maybe we'll do one more week with the Michelob Ultra, and then we'll, we'll go back to our uh, nor- normal uh, beer of the night. Hopefully the microphone's working okay for this. Uh, my son also took over the microphone the other day to turn into a fortnite microphone uh i guess his gaming headset or whatever must have broke so uh, i guess he's going to use this so he can talk to his buddies while playing fortnite until he can earn a new headset uh whatever that will be so hopefully he doesn't destroy this microphone in the process so we'll see but it it seemed like it was recording okay um so yeah you know there, there was the whole threads thing the other week um you know, went, went off with a bang with a lot of people and, you know, I grabbed an account over there. Um, I guess it's tied to your Instagram account. And I know I mentioned before, I don't use Instagram, but I had an Instagram account because my daughter created an Instagram account. Uh, when I found that out, I said, uh-oh, I better take over the Instagram account and, um, you know, ended up doing that. But I never really followed anybody on there. I think the only people I was following on Instagram... I believe, um, was Disney, which was from my daughter, um, Troy, uh, Texans Cap, and that just was the other day. And I don't think I was, uh, following anybody else. So I, I didn't really bring anything over with me to Threads. But my first impression of Threads was this was just something that was very quickly thrown together by the people at Meta. Um, just trying to capitalize on all of the negativity that has surrounded Twitter uh, since Elon Musk took it over. And, you know, they, they did this weird thing where they, they rate limited people the other week. Maybe, maybe it's still going on. I don't know. Uh, I haven't been on Twitter as much either. But, um, you yeah, know, like that, they, there was just a weird thing. And so they just rolled this out. You know, it has no, it's only supported on mobile Um the, the timelines are a mess on it. Uh, finding people is kind of a mess on it. So, you know, I, I, and I would imagine if you, you want to get into, uh, you know, verification and stuff, it looks like that also costs money. So no different than Twitter. Um, in that respect, though, I'm assuming that there are checks from Instagram that carry over that you probably had before they started charging for it. Um, but the main thing with it, And I I can't imagine that engagement with it is going to last for very long is, you know, they actually have to invest in it to try to make it something that would be similar to Twitter, because right now it's not. It just reads, to me at least, um, and again, maybe this is because I didn't have much coming over from Instagram, but my timeline on there basically just reads like a junk feed. It's like the... um, you know, you get to—I made this comment. You get to the bottom of an article, right? And there, there's like the uh, what are they—the the outbrain ads or the um, oh, I forget what they're called. You know, the the different advertisements that they, they have that link you to these crazy stories and stuff like that. That's what it it feels like. It's like I'm—I go on there and a couple people I follow, maybe they're randomly in a thread. I don't even know what you call it. Uh, whatever the timeline is, there the thread line. Um, a couple random things, but it's more stuff along the lines of like, hey, look, Reese Witherspoon is showing me a puppy, or, um, you know, this social media influencer is going to give me $5,000 if I'm one of the f- first 10 people to retweet this. Or, um, you know, here's somebody showing me a book that they recently bought. Um, here's someone talking about how fun it is to be on threads. <laughs> you know, it's all, it's just random junk. Um, that that's kind of filled that stuff, so it doesn't have that kind of sense of community, it just feels like a very rushed project to try to take advantage of whatever's been going on with Twitter and I will say this, and now I've been posting less on Twitter, just a lot has to do with time, um, you know, which you can see from the lack of stuff on OTC outside of the contract updates, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with that, and it's also the off-season where you, you don't get as much stuff, but in general, it seems like engagement is way down on Twitter as well. Uh, you know, a lot of accounts that I follow and I'm used to seeing a lot of posts from, even in the off season. I feel as if, you know, they're, they're just not there anymore. Um, so I, I think there's been a, a lot of radio silence that's kind of been there, which is too bad. But we'll, we'll see what happens when the NFL season actually begins and all that picks up. And we'll see if people kind of go back to that platform or they pull away from that platform, um, you know, or, or if people use Threads. But with it, with the way Threads is right now, there's no way you could have, like, a conversation during a Jets game uh, about the Jets. It, it would just be all over the place, whatever you would see on there and the way it would show up actually in a timeline, um, you know, they, they would need to get that fixed. So we'll see if they actually invest any any real stuff in it, if they put an effort into it to make it bigger besides just looking to see how many people would sign up. Um, but for the time being, I'll have something there. It's a pain to post on, uh, it's a pain to post links on. So it's it's a little bit more of a cumbersome process, at least I found to, to do that there than on Twitter. Um, but you know I'll try to, uh, to kind of keep up with just putting some stuff on there. But I don't anticipate actually at the moment using it too, too much besides, uh, besides that. But feel free to give a follow over there. Um, and you know, if stuff comes through I'll try to answer things on there, but like, you know, if I ever did like the the way I used to do the Twitter sessions at night, you know, you stay up real late and you, uh, have a couple drinks and answer people's questions, you know, from 10 o'clock to like one in the morning, I couldn't do that on that platform right now. Even if, even if I had, 20,000 followers on there. I couldn't do it on that platform. There's just, there's no way to, to function, to functionally do that on the phone. Um, You know, to have that type of interaction with that kind of speed. um, There's just no way to do it. And, you know, you, you can't open up, you know, tabs to easily look through stuff. You know, I'd have to be on the computer anyway, while trying to do that on the phone. And then there's the whole timeline issue where stuff isn't going to come through properly. So, That'd be pretty tough to do on there. So that kind of stuff, if I do another one of those, that, that'll stick on Twitter. Um, but the next time I, I think we'll do one of those live Q&A things, I'll try to use YouTube Live or something like that, um, you know, and just answer it that way. That'll actually probably save some time versus doing typing. But who knows when that'll be where I'll actually have the, uh, the time to, you know, do one of those uh, live. So I, I guess where to start this week, and it, it's a topic I touched on probably about a month ago when Dalvin Cook got released, and it, it really it gets back to the, the valuation of the, the running back position and the, the stuff that is just really unfortunate for that position. Um, you know, report came out this week about the Giants and Saquon Barkley being far apart on a deal, and Barkley basically saying, hey, I'm going to hold out because this is ridiculous. Like, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play in the regular season. Um, because I need to get a deal. And it's like the NFL has stripped the players of the leverage to be able to do that, right? They, they have this artificial deadline of usually, I think it's July 15th. This year it'll be July 17th because the 15th falls on a weekend, uh, where if you don't sign a player to a long-term contract, they're basically stuck. They, they can't sign a long-term deal um, at that point. Now, I do believe you could release the player and then sign him. And, you know, you could kind of work around it that way. I, I don't think there would be any reason why you couldn't do that. Uh, you know, if you were not, um, not cut them, rescind the tag, um, you know, you, you could maybe do that to get around the, um, the rules that are there, maybe. Uh, but, you know, it, it's kind of open-ended about that. And I could see management council jumping in and not allowing a contract like that to actually be accepted. Um, you know, Pro Football Talk had a report out that, he wants uh, 16 million a year. The Giants offered 13 million a year with 26 million in the first two years. So you know it, it's it, it's not a giant gap. Uh, I I wouldn't say that the Giants' offer at 13 million is unfair. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much right in line with where the market is for running backs. Um, right now it's at the high end of it. Um, looking for 16 million is. Not really unfair either. You know, you, you've seen some other players get that. You know, you're a very popular player with the, uh, within the Giants organization. Um, you know, you're kind of a face of the franchise kind of player. So, you know, you're, you're looking for that top-end money. Now, there's a big difference in the breakdown of those $16 million a year deals with the way they were front-loaded in cash versus the other side of the, the, the coin, which is probably what this $13 million deal was where it was going to be 26 over the first two. That just sounds like a straight deal that's going to be 13, 13, 13, 13. Or, you know, maybe the first two years maybe to be 15 this year, um, you know, and then you you drop that down to 11 the next year to get to the 26. Maybe maybe that's the way that they were um, thinking of doing it. And that would be kind of in line with, you know, Derek Henry's deal or um, uh, a couple of the other players, you know, who who signed those deals? Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb. Uh, you know, it, it would be along the lines of that. Uh, do I think 26 over 2 is the the fair number? No, but it's a starting point number. You know, you, you should be above that. I think the market was like 27.5 over 2. Um, maybe, some, maybe Mixon was at that. I, I forget. One, one of the players was right around 27.5. So, you know, he, he should be at that 27.5, 28 million over 2. And then you you kind of walk backwards from there. You know, if we're just talking about making a fair offer, I think within the the framework of the marketplace, um, it's just a very 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 difficult you know job uh, to do. You know, it, it, to to get that kind of contract. The rules are so stacked against the players. And the positions that have the shorter shelf lives, which running back is really the the big the the worst one in that regard, it's just very hard for you to really ever stand out. Um you know, you, you do get these ebbs and flows at the position where you'll see a couple of players make big money and then you'll see people that'll follow suit, right? Like the Rams. The Rams were really the first team in years to kinda um, break this this I'm not going to call it well, let's call it the unwritten rule that you don't play running backs. They were the first to really break that because the market at that position had completely cratered. It had basically fallen apart um, with the exception of two contracts. It was Adrian Peterson and um, Chris Johnson and for the most part that was really about it and they went and they did some outlandish deal for Todd Gurley which really made very little sense outside of just, you know, you you just wanted to keep everybody happy and you didn't want to have anything, you know, fall apart uh, within your own locker room, within your own team. So they went ahead and did that, which led to David Johnson doing his deal, led to Le'Veon Bell holding out one year and then getting a deal from the Jets in free agency, which was nowhere near as good as the, the contracts that, um, you know, Gurley signed uh, probably not even what Johnson had signed, but you know, the, 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 Market began to move at that point because now it was like, OK, well, the Rams did it so somebody else can do it. Because it's not like Gurley was this otherworldly player. Um, you know, we had a good season and, you know, it wasn't like he was Barry Sanders or something like that, where you just say, OK, he's just complete outlier player. So it, it was a reasonable comparison. Um, so you had Ezekiel Elliott, then you had Christian McCaffrey. Um, then you had a couple of other players, you know, as the, the market kind of dropped down a little bit, but still getting, you know, $12, 13000000 million a year. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing that happens. If you're lucky enough to fall into that first wave that signs, you get your money. But the problem is if you come right after those players, you're probably not going to get it because you see the fallout from those player contracts. And essentially, it's just simply history repeating itself in the NFL, because if you go back to the real devaluation of the position, um, just in terms of contracts, all right, you, you basically have two, two ways that the position has been devalued. Um, one of them is contract-based, and the other one is more NFL-based. And, you know, they're, they're two different, they're two, different um, two different things to talk about. But from the contract side, what you had were basically when the NFL was still a one-back league, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, teams would invest a lot of money in that one player. You know, the the Sean Alexanders, Clinton Portis, um, LaDainian Tomlinson, Curtis Martin, um, you know, you can go up and down the list of all these players uh, who signed these big deals back then. I mean just to give you an idea um, this is how these contracts when inflated for the salary cap would look today. Barry Sanders in 1997 would be the equivalent of a player earning 35.4 million dollars a year. Terrell Davis in 1998 33.4, Emmett Smith in 1996 would be the equivalent of someone at 31.9, Marshall Faulk 1999 31.8 million. Adrian Peterson in 2011 would be the equivalent of 26.5. Curtis Martin with the Jets in 1998, the equivalent of 25.7 million a year. Chris Johnson, 25.2. Clinton Portis, 2004, 22.9 million. Tomlinson in 2004 would be 22.3. Uh, Peterson's restructure, eh, that, it's renegotiation. I, I don't even know what you want to call that one. That's 22. That it, that, that was a very minor modification uh Edgar james would be 21 million marshall falk again 20.9 jerome bettis 19.5 uh reggie bush this was his rookie deal would be the equivalent of a player right now making 19.3 marshall lynch in 2015 18.8 uh, marshall falk 94 18.6 Le'Veon bell uh that was the franchise tag he sat out on will be 18.4 uh, then you get to Todd Gurley in 2018, which would be an 18-2 in today's money, and then you get to Christian McCaffrey, which is just under that at 18-2 as well. Um, Zeke, uh, Kamara, but Kamara's deal is just a phony baloney deal. Um, Sean Alexander would be at 17. LaShawn McCoy about 17. Um, you know, but you can see you know these names, and obviously we we don't have all these player contracts from back then. We weren't around. Um, you know, it's kind of fun to look at, but. The time that it takes to track all those deals down—it's not really worthwhile to rebuild those databases. There's there's no there's no real functionality in it. There's no real value in it because the the league has changed so much. Um, you know the, those deals, other than just the points that I'm making, they are kind of pointless to look at. But basically, what happened? Or most of these players would sign these big deals, and very quickly their body would fall apart. You know, a- after they signed those big contracts, um, you know they they kind of became an albatross on the salary cap. You know, now a couple of the players did not, um, in large part, just because you got so many opportunities, the volume was there, that unless you just had no burst at all, uh, where you were going to average like three, four a carry, you were fine. You know, if you were averaging four, one, four, two, the games are all kind of low scoring back then. Anyway. And you, you're getting this big workload to keep your your overall numbers up, um, so it didn't look that bad. But eventually, you would get to the point where you just got hurt, and then you get hurt again, and then you get hurt again after that, and you weren't able to be productive at that level because you're only playing in ten games a year. Um, you know, you, you're someone like an Arian Foster. You know, Arian Foster was great when he played, but. It was a question of how, how often is he going to play. He, he was basically equivalent of what you see with Christian McCaffrey right now, right? Every time Christian McCaffrey plays, puts up a bunch of yards, explosive, and then he'll miss three quarters of a season with injury. So you go to those contracts and you see what happened. Teams started to look at it and it was very easy to see, well, what is one of the worst things that's happening to our salary cap right now? It's these running backs that we have to keep on the roster just for salary cap considerations, and it wasn't like you had a lot of examples to point to as, okay, our guy it didn't work out with, but for this guy it did. You know that those are examples that you can point to like with wide receivers, um, you know, tight ends, maybe you know different positions. Running back, it was few and far between. You know, it wasn't like, well, for every one of these players, there's this player. It was more like for every 12 bad deals, maybe one would be okay. That that was kind of how it was kind of working out. Um, So teams pulled back on it. Um, They pulled back using draft picks on the players and they they pulled back in um, the money that was going to be committed in the extensions. And it was still decent money. And because the players maybe weren't being drafted as high, the expectations weren't as much for what those contracts would be. So, you know, the, the market kind of settled into place, um, you know, for many years until the Gurley thing happened. And all these guys benefited because of Gurley. They they all did. He he is like the, the, the most important, he's the most pivotal player at running back, um, you know, in the last six, seven years just because of that contract that he did, which got a number of players money and really did even raise the bar for all these other players that are at twelve million or so a year. But what happened is that, you know, Todd Gurley fell apart very quickly. Ezekiel Elliott fell apart very quickly. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey has always hurt. You know, he was fine last year in those couple of games in San Francisco. Who knows what will happen with him this year? You know, you look at Dalvin Cook was released. Joe Mixon just took a big pay cut, uh, which for some reason is being reported as a restructure. I have no idea why that is. Um, you know, but he just took a pay cut. You you have Derrick Henry is probably going to be on the trade block a couple weeks into the season. Um, and Derrick Henry's been a—he's a, been one of those guys who's been a decent value, I think, on the extension. Um You know, Aaron Jones in Green Bay had to take a pay cut. Alvin Kamara is probably only on the Saints because of salary cap considerations. Um, You know, there's just a ton of examples of why did we do this? And when you look at the numbers, you know, this was something that I did a couple of years ago where I started looking at um, contracts for players that were, you know, extended players. How did they compare, um, you know, to their their pre-extension seasons? And everybody more or less fell off a cliff with the exception of a player like a David Johnson only because he was hurt beforehand. So his numbers were so low because he was hurt the year before he signed. He had nowhere to go but up, even though he was ineffective. um, He was more productive than he was in the year before, just simply because the year before he was injured. Um, So, you know, that that's the issue that faces Saquon Barkley right now. Jacobs gets thrown into that category, and Pollard is sort of thrown into that category. They're both a different, a different level, I think, than Barkley. I, I think Barkley is more of a trigger point because Barkley is explosive player in a giant media market uh, on a team that made the playoffs last year, um, you know, in surprising fashion. And I think they there's a lot of people who look at this like he deserves something for this, the way that Daniel Jones just got his big contract extension. Um, You know, why, why are you not giving Barkley, um, you know, that type of contract extension? Not, not to that level, but you know, just that what, why are you not getting a deal done? Why, why were you able to do that with Jones, but you can't do that with Barkley? And I mean, the answer is, you know, he's a quarterback. I mean, it's just very simple. Um, you know, if you release Saquon Barkley right now, I don't know what he would get. I'm not sure he'd get $13 million a year on the open market, especially in the summer. You know, it'd be more interesting, you know, if something like that happened in March. Um, but, you know, right now, it'd be hard for me to believe that he would, he would really get that. Um, you know, I, I just don't think he would. Now, in terms of the way the game changed, that's something completely different. You know, growing up, the NFL was a lot about running the football, playing defense, running the football, playing defense. But a lot of what happened, um, you know, in, in the time since then, really, it's when you get into the, it's really when you get, I think, into the um, Brady and Manning era. And, you know, you've got a lot of these other quarterbacks who were very good in that, that time frame, too. You started to see teams... Number one, they started to kind of get away from this idea that a quarterback can only be drafted if he fits a specific mold, right? Like he's got to be six foot four, um, you know, he's either got to have a cannon for an arm or he's got to be super accurate and have like this high football IQ um, to go out there and, you know, dissect these complicated defenses in the NFL, And I I think teams started to say, well, you know what, what if we actually began to kind of tailor the system a little bit to the quarterback's strengths and weaknesses rather than just kind of forcing him to play a way that maybe he's not comfortable, right? You go back to someone like McNabb, Um, you know, McNabb, they brought along, you know, slowly in Philadelphia, they let him do his thing. Um, When he was there, he improved a lot as a passer over time. Um, But, you know, he was always effective there because it's not like they told him you can never run. You can never do this. You know, Michael Vick was able to run a lot. You look at someone like Drew Brees, you know, Drew Brees is short, relatively short, um, you know, for a quarterback's position. But, you know, you, you come up with ways that you can utilize him despite that. And, you know, he turned into a Hall of Fame level quarterback. Um, and then you started to see the development, right? You had Tony Romo, you know, who's uh, he was undrafted, I think, right? Yeah, guys like a Matt Castle, you had a Matt Schaub. Um, you know, you started to see all these people pop up. I'm not saying be great, but they were effective. They were efficient. They'd sometimes get their teams into the playoffs. And those teams were having more success with those players than if you just took a junk quarterback and threw him on a team with a quote-unquote dominant running back. You know, th- those teams weren't going to be as successful overall simply because the passing game was becoming more efficient. You're doing things that play to their strengths rather than maybe playing just to the, their weaknesses. And, you know, then you start to have rule changes that make it easier for wide receivers. And then the other thing, and, and I think we, o- we often overlook this, the NFL was a, a very, in that running back dominant era, it was very closed with a lot of the ways that teams would run their offense. Now, not everybody, but, you know, when the Rams were the greatest show on turf, it was like, wow, you know, they, they've got these two guys plus the running back that are, you know, two guys catching a bunch of passes and they've got the running back. It's like, what, what an amazing, you know, group that is. You know, Minnesota, who had those dominant offenses with Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Um, You know, it was the same thing. It's like, wow, you know, it's just so, it's a different thing. Because really before that, a lot of the stuff that you saw from the teams was very one wide receiver dominant. So it was like you had one wide receiver. So defensively, you could basically, if you could get your dominant corner, and your corner at the time would play against the dominant receiver, um, you could, in theory, shut down a lot of the passing attack because there weren't a lot of plays designed to go to wide receiver number two. Your tight end was a pure safety valve, right? Your tight end position was basically, okay, when necessary, when you're not blocking, I want a guy that can lumber seven yards down the field, have his back turned completely to the end zone, catch the ball with both hands and probably just fall down, you know, or maybe rumble for a couple more yards. Um, you know, that that was the way that you ran it. Now, I'm always partial to Corbet. Um, you know, but obviously there's a lot of other players that played the slot. And it started to create like a whole new thing. It's like, wait a minute. We can get these kind of shorter, faster guys there running across the middle and they can catch the ball on the run and we can utilize them in an offense. So it was like, okay, now you've got three guys and now, now rules changes are coming. So now it's like, okay, we've got three wide receivers on the field. You know, we've, we've got our top guy. Can we trust more on the second guy too? Yeah. And what about this third guy? We can actually have a third route being run. Yeah. And then, you know, Things change even further, where it's not just the random every now and then you're you're getting this you know athletic tight end, um, you know who's a really good receiver. Now you're actually going into college and you're finding players who are basically just big bodies that can play wide receiver, but you're putting them at tight end, and you're creating all these mismatches, and all of it's taking away from the running back. Because now you've got all these different viable options in the passing game. And you can't, as a defense, just go out there and get one player. You know, you can't go and get your Darrell Revis and say, shut down the top guy. Because on 90% of the teams, if you shut down the top guy, it doesn't mean you're shutting down their passing offense. Their passing offense is probably going to function as normal if the rest of your defense kind of sucks. You know, all you're doing is taking away one target out of three, four, five. Whereas, you know, in the 80s or 90s, if you took away one guy, you might shut down an offense. You know, you might shut down a passing game because they they didn't really have another player there that they trusted or a system that was really designed to go to those players. So you bring all that in and it's like if you are now completing 68% of your passes and those numbers are way higher on first down, they're way higher on second down. It's like why would you run the football as much, especially knowing the guys get hurt? So that that's out of the that's out of the control for the running backs, right? That that part of it is out of control for, out of their control. They they don't really have um A leg to stand on with that it's just it's the way that it is you know the the they've basically been replaced by all these other positions even before when you used to have the running backs that would catch the football and it was like well you know they're they're like a a triple threat out there right you they can run they know how to block and they can go out and they can make receptions those are probably the least valuable receptions that your offense can produce Everybody knows that, and it used to probably be the second most valuable receptions when you you were running in these dominant systems, or at the very least, it would be the third most valuable reception because you were probably more valuable in a passing game, um, you know, than a uh, than a tight end at that point in time, and you know you certainly than the third wide receivers that were going out there, maybe even more valuable in some cases than a second wide receiver, you know, depending on the offense. Um, so, you know, it, it just boils down to these running backs, you know, the, the peak career years for these players really is in the, the first two seasons. They're probably in the league. Um, and they're still going to be productive year three and probably productive year four. And then it really starts to go downhill and the way the system is set up, it's just not something that they can break out of. Um, you, you have rookie control for five seasons if you're a first-rounder, four seasons if you're not a first-rounder. And basically, you got six years of control um, for non-first-rounders because you go franchise-franchise tag if you want to. You know, it's seven years of control if a player is a first-rounder. You know, and because the money is larger at other positions. Like this, this is one of the things that I I always say sucks for all these guys that play at these different positions. The money is so big for quarterback. It's rare that you get to the point to where the franchise tag even comes into play for those players. Now it did with Kirk cousins in Washington because they didn't want to pay. Um, It did for Dallas and Dak Prescott for God knows what reason. Um, But you know, it's like the money's so big. Daniel Jones got a deal. And because Daniel Jones gets a deal, it allows them to use the tag on Barkley instead of letting him become a free agent. Now, I don't think he would have gotten a big lucrative deal as a free agent anyway, but would have been interesting at least to see. Um, you know, wide receivers make so much money that 90% of the time they're not really going to get tagged, they're just going to get extended. You know, because you don't get those kind of contract holdouts anymore. Um, that you used to get where there's real fights on um, value and payouts and all that. Everyone is pretty much accepting of the markets as they exist. And as long as that contract ends up in there, typically as the, um, for many of the positions, the highest paid, or maybe somewhere in the top five, you'll get a deal done. You don't have to use the franchise tag. So that leaves the tag open for all these kind of secondary positions like running back. So you never really shake free. Your career is defined by the franchise tag, and you know that 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 same thing holds true really for all positions. And it, it's this is you know when you're negotiating something, and you see what the league has done, and you see the power plays that the leagues have pulled to basically keep spending down. I don't understand as a union. How you're not going in there and basically fighting to end the rookie contract system as it stands like it just doesn't make sense. the rookie system makes sense when you're in a league where players' careers would last if they if they were a decent player, you know their careers would last eight, nine, ten years, okay because, you could deal at that point in time with your rookie contract and two franchise tags and still get signed. So you at least had a little bit of leverage to, you know, threaten to play on those franchise tags, regardless of what position you were. Right now, two franchise tags, in my opinion, um, two franchise tags would be a killer for a number of positions in the NFL. Um You know, if you get tagged two times, that is probably gonna put you into a position where you're getting into your first free agency. Um, If you're a first round pick, you're probably getting into free agency for your first time at 29, maybe 28, 29. That's not a good age to be going into free agency. You know, at almost any position, that that's a terrible age for it. You know, running back would be, really be hurt. Wide receivers would be moderately hurt. I, I think you would have a lot of guys that would tail off. You'd have a couple of guys where it wouldn't impact them because they're, they're just really good. You know, you can find exceptions at wide receiver that you don't find at running back, but it would hurt a couple of players at running back. I think tight end would be okay. Um, tackle would be fine. You know, offensive line would all be okay. I think your uh, edge players would get a little bit hurt by that. Cornerbacks definitely would get hurt by that, even though we have seen some players sign deals um, after being tagged. So that whole system is just a detriment. And the way teams are now, look at how quick they make these decisions on the players. And you can see it in the extensions, right? Most players, if you're going to extend them, are probably extended after three years. So if you have enough knowledge to know that you're going to extend a player after three years, why is a rookie contract, why does it need to be any more than three years in length? Why? There's no reason for it. And realistically, you can go down to two years. If you look and you see the the functionality of the of the teams with their, these players and you look at the way that they utilize the players, the peak expectation for a lot of these guys is two, three years in the league. And they're losing out because as they get a little bit older, you know teams aren't as interested. But they'd be more interested in the players if they could pick them up as a free agent when they're 24, 25 years old, even if it's on a three-year deal, two-year deal, whatever it might be. You know, but the, this system that exists that gives a team control for four or five years and basically controls the prime of the career of most of those players. I mean, the the, the players where I would say the prime is clearly beyond... A rookie contract would probably be quarterback, um, probably uh, probably most of your offensive linemen. Um, but most of the other players, I mean, they're going to peak during their rookie deals. And, you know, probably, you know, they might match it for a year or two post that rookie deal, you know, remain in that prime. But it, it's not like they, they have the ability to get to a third contract most of the time. You know, most of the time, a couple years in on those extensions, you start saying, wow, you know, was that really a a good deal or not? Tight end is another one where, um, you know, your your prime probably happens after your rookie deal. That's probably another position that would be like that. So, you know, most players, I I think, would benefit from it. But it's like a subject that's never been approached. Like, I I just don't understand. I don't understand how you do a 10-year deal and... Every player that you have coming into the NFL is going to be impacted by the length of that rookie contract. Why, why wouldn't you make that a priority? I don't care if the guys who vote right now are quote unquote veterans or are quote unquote stuck, you know, stuck on the four-year deal and you know they couldn't get out of it. You should be negotiating for the betterment of the players overall. Um, you know, you you should have a duty, and the players should, and they, they all talk about this. You know, you're, you're trying to make things better for the next generation. Well, the way that you make things better for the next generation is to fundamentally change the system. You know, not just say, oh, you know, it is what it is. You know, the, the owners got them, and it, it made some sense, you know, to, to pull back on those rookie deals um, that existed in the, the two CBAs ago. Selling point was that money was going to go to the middle-class veterans. It didn't. But, you know, it, it, did, make, it did make some sense. Um, certainly helped teams manage their salary cap a lot better <laughs> um, by not locking them into some of those deals. But, you know, the running back position... It's just not going to change until you drop the deal length down. If you drop those rookie contract lengths down, the players might be able to make that kind of money. Because what will happen is, even though the position has been devalued, the production of the running back won't be expected to fall off a cliff after two years. So teams can justify at that point saying, okay, you know, the importance of the running back relative to a quarterback is you know let's say on a salary scale let's say the the quarterback should be set at a minimum of 45 million if they're a good veteran um you know running back is you know maybe you know maybe the quarterback is worth three times more than a running back maybe a little bit more than that or a little bit less than that and you know you, you can peg it to that and say okay Now we're in that ballpark of 16, 17, $18 million. You're not going to be as afraid of doing it because you're still planning on getting two productive seasons, probably out of that player, you know, year three, year four, and then you keep your fingers crossed into year five. But with the way the system is now, it just really hurts them. And, you know, you get into this thing where you talk about, well, we got the league to agree to cash minimums, you know, Great, you know, wonderful. No NFL team is even close to those cash minimums. The cash minimums have no bite; they're completely worthless. uh, With the way the system is set up right now, it is just it's a stupid thing to tout that as a victory when it has no bearing on what teams do. Teams set their budget, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, You know, teams set their budget and they work from there. But if you give teams more access to talent and you force them to make decisions earlier in the process, you're probably going to see their budgets go up even further. You know, and they'll make the deals work within the salary cap, and you'll see more guys making money. You know, And nobody's really hurt by it. Now, the only guys that are hurt are those drafted in the first round that completely bust. That's pretty much it. Because if you did two-year deals, obviously the signing bonus and the guarantees would be way down on those rookie deals. But um, sorry, I just got a text here. Okay, um, you know, they, they, so that that number would go down. But for everybody else, I mean, it's basically a push. Like if you're if you're a guy struggling to make a football team, and you're a sixth-round pick, all right. Most of your money is really going to be earned by making a football team. It didn't come in the form of that signing bonus. You know, you, your benefit is making the team, and you know if you are someone who just needs to compete, well, all you were going to make this year, oh, all <laughs> in nine hundred forty thousand dollars, I think, is a third year salary right now. Um, you know, you make the team, you'll make nine forty. So if you were no longer on a rookie contract and you were a free agent, you'd still have to make at least $940,000. So you're still fighting for that same amount of money. Like, even though you're a guy hanging on, um, you know, you're still in the same position somewhere. And But if if you're a guy who's a little bit better, and if you look at the way that we do our um, OTC valuations, you'll see many of the rookies are worth much more than that if you you factor, um, you know, just how much teams pay on the position you know you you would look at some of these guys and you would say oh okay you know if he became a free agent instead of 940 he'd probably get a, a one-year deal for at least 1.5 yeah you know, maybe a two-year deal at 2.5 million a year you know, they, they make out much better in that scenario even though the signing bonus has been cut so really this is a union problem. That that's really what it is, and while yeah, the running backs are the ones that we look at the most, it hits almost everybody in the league. And really, if you shorten the length of the deals, absolutely hits everybody. How much do you think Trevor Lawrence would make right now? You know, if the Jaguars had to put him on a veteran deal, probably be doing pretty good. So that, that's, the, that's the answer for fixing some of the issues. Um, a running back is never going to get paid as if they're a quarterback again. You know, those numbers that are rattled off earlier, $35 million a year, $30 million a year, that will never, ever, ever happen. You know, they're not going to get up to a running back level. I'm sorry, to a wide receiver level. That's just not going to happen. But you, you shouldn't get into these um, fights with a team over, you know, just making you feel, I think, at times like you're, you're worthless um, just because of the position you play. I think that would be gone if those uh, rookie deals were modified. All right. Um, other thing. I posted this this past week. Um, cash spending in the NFL. So really what brought this on were a, a number of tweets mainly regarding um, DeAndre Hopkins, but a handful that were uh, also mentioning um, Dalvin Cook. And they're talking about, well, you know, this team can't do it until they make some more salary cap space. And it's like you, you have to realize all these teams operate on a budget. Um, no matter what we want to believe about the NFL, And the belief that the salary cap prevents teams from spending. Um, The salary cap might prevent a handful of teams from spending in a given season. But for the most part, teams have budgets. Teams have an internal budget. You know, they're running a business. They have a certain amount of money that's going towards football operations. Okay? That money is going to be set. And typically, the way I do this when... um, I do some stuff on the side, you know, typically I peg it to the growth in the salary cap or the, I'm sorry, the the level of the salary cap, you know, it's uh, what is a typical um, cash outlay in a given season relative to the salary cap, you know, and that, that's the way the NFL um, came up with that silly rule that you had to spend like 90% um, of the cap over three year period. Um, I think that's the number is 90% right now. And, You know, you start to get a good idea as to what teams are actually willing to spend and what teams maybe are a little bit tighter. And you can look, based on the construction of the current roster, the teams that actually have money to spend. And you can get an idea from that. The teams who are all in this season are probably going to cut back next year or, you know, maybe might look to release a couple of players. So, you know, for example, um, the Chiefs, you know, they're a team that's been linked to Hopkins a lot, and everyone just puts on it like, well, you know, their salary cap is a problem, their salary cap is a problem, their salary cap is a problem. Yeah, the Chiefs have no cap room. You know, that they have like $200,000 in cap space right now or something something ridiculous like that, 500000 But the Chiefs, over the last five years, are the lowest spending team in the NFL. Um, they're one of only one, two... Three, three teams. Let me see. One. Why didn't I make this table sortable? Two, three teams. (laughs) I think one of three teams that has not spent over five-year period an average of an average equal to at least the cap. The Bears are exactly equal to the cap at 100. um, You know uh, that the Chiefs spend 98.9 percent of the cap. So for the Chiefs, if they were to hold true on that, you know, your estimated budget for this year would be about $222 million. Well, they're already 217 committed, you know, for 60 players. Now, some of those players might not make it. Um, you know, 60 players, I'm kind of taking into account, well, you know, you're going to have guys on IR, so you have a lot of up and down. And obviously you have, you know, your practice squads and stuff like that that come into play too. Um, so I just figured I would take 60 players and do that. But, you know, for the Chiefs, that leaves them 5 million dollars to spend. And, you know, you got Chris Jones probably looking for a contract. Um, you know, and he might be very 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 expensive. So, they're not really in a position unless they they really blow away their norms and teams do that all the time, you know, a lot of times. You know, you see a, a range, you know, you, there will be certain teams where there's very little variance in the way they spend. Then there'll be other teams where you you see a lot of variance. Um, in the way they spend, and those are the teams typically that you'll see a year where they spend a lot, and you'll see a year where they're they're kind of cold, um, simply because it's almost like you're borrowing from next year. You're going to go to your owner and say, "Hey, I really want to sign this guy for 15 this year. Can you approve that?" And typically, it's going to get approved, but probably come with a little asterisk, like, "Okay, but next year you're going to have 15 less than you know, um, you know, to spend on the on the projected budget, just so it just kind of balances out." Um, you know, so you, you start to look at that and you start to realize, well, this is a big reason why in the summer you don't see teams really spending any money. So right now, the teams that are over their norms are the Ravens at about 47 million over. A lot of that's tribute to the quarterback, obviously. The Bills at 31 over, Texans 26, Falcons 25. Now the Falcons number is misleading. The Falcons are an example of a team that does spend a lot. They're usually one of the higher spenders in the league. Um, they've been wiped out by the salary cap for a couple of seasons now. So I, I would actually say that they have a, more of a budget than this. But they're one of those rare teams where the salary cap just throttled them for too many years. Um, you know, most teams, the cap is a deterrent for one Maybe two years at the most. I'd say with Atlanta, it's been a deterrent for like four. Um, So the the, theirs is a little bit different. But the Giants are twenty over. Dolphins. I had a typo on this. I the Dolphins are twenty over. The Dolphins are um, more like twelve over. Uh, Browns about nineteen over. Broncos fourteen over. Eagles fourteen over. Seahawks twelve over. Then you got teams that are right at their budget. You know the Chargers have about three million more. Colts four. Chiefs 5, Jaguars 8, Panthers 9, Steelers 9, Saints 11, Jets 12, but the Jets have the Quinn and Williams thing. Now, obviously, that deal is done. Um, I don't have any particulars of it, so no real need to talk about it this week, you know, unless I have a question um, that came in about it, you know, say whatever, um, if that's the case. But, you know, they have that, and right now they have Aaron Rodgers at a $1 million salary. Obviously, he's going to make more money than a million. So the Jets very quickly are going to be on the, the, you know, like the Bills, you know, 30 over their typical budget. The Bengals are 12 under with a bunch of guys, you know, you have know, borough extension looming. Um, Raiders at 15. Commanders have 19 to spend. Arizona, now is a team that's just cutting back. So they have money to spend, but this is probably a choice for them not to utilize it. They're trying to gain cap room and you're saving money this year over your normal spending patterns. And hopefully that means that you're in a position where your owner is going to say, Hey, you know, you got more money to spend next year. Um, you know, let's make this work. Lions, they have some money to spend Dallas, but Dallas doesn't spend much. Um, you know, typically, um, you know, they'd rather, I think, carry over, uh, 49ers have some money, but they have cap issues. The bears, they have money and, you know, whatever. Patriots have money they can spend. Titans, you know, Titans are a team that is probably a little bit um, salary cap crunched. But, um, you know, they're willing to spend. So, I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons why they've been tied into Hopkins a lot. Vikings, way under their norms with spending. But that's salary cap issue right now. Buccaneers, $54 million under, $55 million under their norms. But again, that's a salary cap issue. They, they have nothing they can spend on. They have no room. Packers, same thing, 66 under. Um, and then the Rams, same issue, 72 million under the norms. Um, you've got to know these numbers when you start getting into these free agents and you start saying, like, well, you've got Ngakwe and you've got this guy and you've, you've got Cook and you've got Hopkins and you've got all these players. You know, are some of them going to sign? Yeah. Well, one or two of them maybe even sign a surprising deal that's like 10 million a season. You know, maybe Hopkins, something like that. Um, You know, Cook, probably not. Ngakwe, probably not. You know, but they they might get a little something, you know, five million, six million. You know, those kind of deals might exist out there. But, you know, you you run into these things. And I, I think sometimes as fans, we just don't pay attention to this at all. Media, I think, doesn't pay attention to this at all, or maybe they don't want to pay attention to it. Um So it ends up not really being talked about, or it's just put forward that, you know, the owners have unlimited cash to spend, which they don't, you know, or at least they're not willing to do that. You know, may, maybe you can create scenarios to make them willing to do it, but not, again, not in the current system, you um, as it exists so when we start looking at all these players and this is this is where players probably get a disservice by their agents at times too yeah is is a certain player you know i'll I'll use hopkins as an example is hopkins still worth you know 15 16 18 million dollars a year possibly you know i i think you could um you could make an argument that okay maybe um you know maybe he's still worth something like that but you have to adjust what you are willing to play for when you get to this point and you're still a free agent you know if a player like Ngakwe is still worth you know at least 6-7 million dollars i can buy that um you have to make an adjustment when you get to this point and you go i am not going to play for less than seven or eight million dollars this year, like that—that's my absolute least I'll pay play for. And you know, you've just eliminated by saying that at least half of the NFL. You know, it, about sixteen teams. And then you have a couple others where it's like, is that the only thing that you want to spend your money on? You know, do you have? um you know some pressing needs, so just using that eight million dollar number, you know that basically eliminates two, three, four, five. Okay, so at eight million dollars, we eliminate fifteen teams. Fifteen teams. I think we can throw the Jets and the Bengals out because of stuff they have coming up. So that's seventeen teams that you can eliminate Steelers probably wouldn't be considering anything like that, but let's just keep them in there. Um, you would look at the Cardinals as rebuilding. So that'd be 18. You would look at the, Oh, I wouldn't look at the bears that way. Um, I think you'd look at the Vikings as potentially kind of retooling, um, so that's 18. The Buccaneers, no cap room. That's 19. Packers, nothing. That's 20. Right? Rams, 21. So basically we're taking 21 teams out of the mix, maybe a couple more. So your player, your team pool is very small. And that's not even getting into the fact of, you know, do they need that position? You know, like Dallas. Does Dallas need another pass rusher? Probably not. You know, so you 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 have that aspect of it too. Now you might be able to convince one of these teams that's already over to go even more over. It's like well, you're already all in, Um, but for the most part, you're just holding out hope that an injury happens, and when that injury occurs, um, you know that you're able to strike a deal for more money. But this is why so many guys in the NFL end up being forced into retirement because the, the thing with the NFL. The NFL is an out of sight, out of mind league. When you're out of the league, you're out of the league. It's very hard to get back in. Like it's amazing Beckham got back in. Um, but for the most part, when you're out of the league, you're out of the league. So I mean, you look at these players, you know, who are available right now. Um, that used to be on big money deals. So let let me just pull up the free agents. So, you know, I'll throw out Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. So I mentioned DeAndre Hopkins, whatever's there. You know, Kenny Galladay is probably shot. Byron Jones is hurt. Um, Taylor Lewan, he might have retired officially. I'm not even sure on that. Yeah, you got Ezekiel Elliott, Deion Jones, Robert Quinn, um, Marcus Peters, William Jackson, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Dalvin Cook, John Johnson, um, Zach Cunningham. Uh, He retired, Ronald Darby, Jadavion Clowney, George Fant, um, Shelby Harris, Michael Brockers. You know, you you run these names off, these guys can still play football at some level. You know, some of them last year played a lot. You know, and people would talk about them still being wonderful players. Uh, Miles Jack, you know, let, let me just, let me sort these by snap counts even. Sean Evans, Roger Saffold, uh, Daron Harmon, um, Eli Apple, Marcus Joyner. Um, now, he, Joyner, I don't think played for a lot of money last year, right? With the Jets. Yeah, he was pretty cheap, 2 1, 2 6. Um, you know, Miles Jack, Troy Hill, Trey Turner, um, Gabe Jackson, Fournette, whatever. Um, But anyway, the point is, you you run through these names, and you've got a lot of names of players who used to be great, but are on the decline. But they can probably still play football. But you know, and you've got players who were productive enough to see the field a lot last year. But you know, you you see the field a lot, like maybe like a George Fant, and you set your expectations very high. When that market doesn't develop, you got to pivot. You got to decide what you want to do, and you can't just say, you know, that money isn't going to be there now, unless you're more than happy to retire. If you're you're happy to retire, that's that's different. Um, But you, you have to realize that when you're at this point in the in the game, when you're at this point in the off season, and you look at this, you have to know there's not a lot of money left to go around in the league. And so your choice is basically go and play for cheap this year, hope you do well, and then you can get back to your $8 million number, $10 million number next year. Or that's probably it. You know, and if you don't sign now for, you know, I'm just throwing a number out there. Instead of eight, if you don't sign now for four, if you wait and wait and wait, the next thing that pops up, barring some crazy injury – is an offer for the veterans minimum or to be a veteran on the practice squad. Like, okay, maybe that'll help you stay in the league, but, you know, wouldn't your better option have been to stay in the league and make your $4 million? You know, and, and actually have a fighting chance at, you know, getting that deal the next year? You know, I, I always think that that's something, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, one of, one of the old uh, corners on the Jets, Antonio Cromartie, Really good player. Um, freakish athlete. Um, you know, he did that. He he had to go and, you know, he had to take a deal and he did. Um, you know, basically for the minimum out in Arizona. Played great, you know, and ended up making um, you know, decent money again. Let me let me see where Cromarty was at. You know, it was he was a byproduct of just being in a bad situation on the Jets and his tail end um of that and he got cut and that hurt him. So he went from making eight million a year to three point five. You know, so it's like he was worth more than three point five, but was willing to play for three point five, went back to the Jets then, um after I think it was one season away. He was away in twenty fourteen. He went to Arizona three five, went back to the Jets and he earned seven million dollars that year. Um, Now he got cut (laughs) the year after that, Um, you know, and he signed for two and then that that was it for him. But it's like he he played that situation properly. You know, he took what the market was willing to give him to make sure he stayed in the league and it got him one more one more payday, maybe even two. You know, if you want to look at that last season with the Colts where he made a little bit of money, Um, you know, because otherwise he was probably done. You know, if he doesn't take that deal, he's probably finished. So you have to be willing to do that. And, you know, it's one of those things where when we start looking at these free agents available and you just start to wonder, oh, how did this guy not get signed? How did this guy not get signed? And then even as a a fan or a reporter on the league, by next year, you forget that guy's even around. Like, you, you just completely forget because he hasn't been, you know, front and center in the NFL. He'd been out of the league. Now, the the one thing with Beckham that helped him out was he 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 does a really good job with publicity and he did a great job with it last year trying to make it sound like there was this Odell Beckham sweepstakes going on. How he was choosing this team and you know, he would really want to go to a playoff contender. And then it's like the offers came in, it was like, what? I'm not I'm not playing for that. Um, but at least he he stayed, I guess, in the public eye because of that. And that helped him out this year get an outlandish contract from Baltimore. Just one of the worst contracts that uh I can picture a team signing in quite some time. Now, maybe Beckham will play great um you know and that'll justify the the investment there but that just a horrific contract of your team like the president they set with that was just awful but you got to be aware of those budgets for these teams you got to be aware of what the teams spend you got to be aware of where they are with spending and this this starts in free agency and it becomes easier and easier to see as you get you know more through things but you know, you can use the projections we have for the draft picks, which are always very good. So, I mean, you can go into the league going into free agency and say, okay, this is where they're at right now. This is where they'll be after the draft. You know, if we throw the signing bonus money in there, plus a couple rookie salaries. Um, you know, let's bring the roster up to 45 players, 44 players, just by throwing a couple of minimum numbers in there. We'll pretend they're undrafted. Um you know, and now we've got, um, you know, whatever other players they can sign to get up to fifty-three players, or however many players you want to use. If you want to use sixty, you know, bring it up to fifty. Just say, okay, we factor in where they're at with the draft right now before making any trades or anything like that. Here's where the cash budget is. Here's where it is with rookies. Here's where it is if we bring the roster up to X amount of players. Here's what's left over for seven free agents. Ten free agents. And you can very, very quickly get an idea of which teams are going to have those budgets outside of the cap room to spend. And what teams you're really going to have to do a great job convincing that they really need a player, um, you know, if you want to get that player to sign. And if you don't get signed in the first week of free agency, once again, you got to start changing, you know, you got to start changing your expectations up. You know, if you want to stay in the league. All right, let's take a look at uh, questions for the week. I don't think there's too many. Um, you know what, let me start with threads. Let's see if anybody replied on threads. Let's see, all right, I got the phone out. Let's see if I can actually do this, I gotta try to read. Oh, I did get one question from threads, here we go. This is from Mendy. Uh, what are some mini projects and research projects you'd recommend someone do if they're pursuing a career in football administration? Good question. Um, so, <laughs> I think I, I think one of the biggest things that you can do, um, and, I, and I say this all the time, and I know it's hard. Um, I know I know it's very hard, but it is. Become kind of part of that analytics community, I guess if you want to call it that, on Twitter. Um, you know, just interact with people that do analytics. Um, you know, and you focus on the contract part of it. You know, whatever stuff you want to look at with contracts, um, you know, you focus on that. And, you know, you you try to... Um, create a presence somewhere online and share your work. And one of the reasons that sharing work is good is because when you share work, you get feedback, um, whether it's positive or negative, all feedback is good. Unless, unless the feedback is just jerky, all feedback is good. It gives you ideas as to, okay, this is where I made a mistake or, um, you know, this is something that I did wrong or this is something that I, I kind of screwed up. Um, you know, I, I think that's something uh, I think if you get into contracts themselves, you know, one of the things that a lot of people do is you start looking at stuff with like rookies, like how much was paid out for undrafted players and stuff like that. That's pretty boring. Um, everybody does it. So I would say don't do that. Um, you know, you, you want to have a fundamental understanding, I think, of certain things that uh, that teams do. You want to have fundamental, fundamental understanding, of course, of the salary cap. Um You know, I I think if you really wanted to do some interesting projects, because it it all ties in with it, and these are some things that we do um, for people, and sometimes we'll put them uh, in a premium section too, Um, I think you want to look at players, um, maybe from a historical standpoint, you know, not so far in the past that it really doesn't make sense. Um, You know, but from recent history. You know, you, you can start looking at things um, where you, you start focusing on players and positions and you start looking at, uh, let's just use a, a arbitrary cutoff, top 15 paid wide receivers, um, top 15 paid edge rushers in a given season. Um, track how they did after they signed their deals. You know, how how did those deals work out? Um, you know, how much dead money was left over? How much was paid out? Um you know, that kind of stuff. What, what was the performance levels like? So just take a look at, you know, what kind of pressures uh, were recorded by maybe PFF, um, you know, before and after. Um, I, that's the kind of stuff that I'd personally be interested in. But it, it's also you need to have a fundamental understanding of the way that the contracts themselves work. Um, you know, contract projections are always a good way to, um, you know, get a handle on stuff. Because if, if you did work in football admin, one of the things that you're doing, right, is you're researching um, what the market is for a player. You know, we talk about that with Barkley. You know, the Giants know they're a pretty good idea probably what the market would be for a player like that. So you're, you're trying to craft an offer that prevents that player from considering going to market. Um, now, that, that case is a little bit unique, but, um, you know, and if you were negotiating with a free agent, you're trying to come up with a deal that makes sense within a market. So, you know, do some player profiles, do some uh, profiles on individuals where you kind of try to first just come up with a overarching value for a player argument as to why, what are the comparables that you see for that player? Um, you know, why do you put him in this bucket of players? You know, like sometimes I, I've, I've dealt with people that will, you know, put someone in an outlandish range. It's like, what? Like, where, where are you seeing that? Um, you know, for the player. And then there's other times where you you see someone get sold short. Like, you know, he should be, you know, you're looking at this. Like, don't look at that. Look at these, you know, look at these players. Um, You know, I I think those are things that you can do to just try to, um, you know, get a better understanding. But, you know, the the stuff that's online, you know, where you can interact with people via Twitter or threads um, or whatever it might be, you know, just to, just to share your work, try to get feedback on it. Um, you know, I, I think that that's just always, you know, very good. Um, you know, there's a group of us cap junkies online. Uh, I don't think any of us have met in person. It's possible maybe we did somewhere and I'm just not thinking of it, but, uh, you know, a lot of us haven't met in person. Yeah. I'm, I'm not including Brad in that group. Uh, you know, I know Brad from other stuff and, uh, you know a different kind of thing but you know uh, the people that were like the uh the the older generation of uh capologist people like myself um you know i, I don't think any of us have met but we've probably been talking online for 15 years <laughs> you know just to just to, to give you an example of you know how that stuff kind of works out um you know, Bryce was probably in that group at one point in time. So, yeah, obviously I met Bryce. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's like the social media stuff, it's a great format for being able to share your work, share ideas, get feedback, and, um, you know, interact with people and do stuff. Now, the other thing is, if you are, and you know, and you're saying football admin, so I'm not going to say Big Data Bowl. That's that's probably not going to work for you. I wish um, that they, they actually did a contest that would be similar like that with contracts. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, we did some work. Um, not really work. We just shared some data. This is many years ago for a competition um, working with contracts that was, you know, sort of like that. It was more like data analysis of contract stuff. And I don't really even know how far that got, but I thought that was a really interesting thing to do. Um, and I, I think that would be really be an interesting um, thing to tackle to see, you know, what, whatever you wanted to look at with this this group of players, um, you know, contract structures or whatever, you know, try to come up with an optimum way to structure contracts for a given position, um, you know, based on age and performance of player you know, something like that. You know, I, I think that'd be really cool if they ever did, you know, competitions that way. I, I think that'd be really neat because my own opinion is that's an area that's kind of untapped. It still kind of lends itself more towards, OK, we've got a market. How do we make a contract work within a market? Whereas the way that I look at it is the contract work itself should really go hand in hand with analytics. Um you know with people who are going to do a better job than i probably would at legitimate uh, performance projections and you know i might have some opinions as to you know maybe why I, i might you know lean away from something that someone was saying there but you know when they're coming up with numbers on stuff it's like okay if this is how you're telling me he's going to play this is probably what it's worth um you know but this is what the market is, is that worth doing? I, I think there, there's a, a whole lot of unexplored potential in doing stuff like that um, versus right now, which is more getting into the, the you know player data, player tracking and stuff like that. But I, I think that there's more value right now in terms of constructing a team in really doing player projections and how those projections match with market projections to see who's a fit or if you're talking like a money ball thing you know who would probably outperform um based on you know what you're seeing with you know how this player might fit in your system um how he might fit you know how his performance level maybe would be raised based on the correlation with uh, some of the talented players that you already have in place Um, you know, and what you're saying, his value probably is market wise, um, to where you say, okay, you know, we're probably getting a $5 million value on this on a free agent. Um, and I think that's a whole avenue, um, really that can get explored. Um, I think it'd be neat if they did a little competition like that. Um, but I, you know, any, any kind of projects you can do where I think you're looking at effective ways to spend your money, utilize money, um, structure it, whatever it might be, um, you know I, I think that would be a uh, interesting thing to do. Oh one other thing. Uh, you can look at you know current contract trends that's one of those things I keep saying I'm going to make a video for and never do um, where you study certain things that teams are doing um, with the salary cap and contract structures. All right, that does it for my questions from threads. <laughs> All right, let's see if I got any questions on Twitter. Doesn't look like too many this week. We're in the summer, so not a big deal. All right, let's take a look here. Um, let's see what we got. Uh, Joe Mixon. Here we go, a couple questions. Brian, why do teams sometimes aim to delay signing bonus payments? There's no cap allowance in delaying the payment of dead money. Is it tax-related? Uh, no. I think it's just, if you have money and it's sitting in an account somewhere, um, you can make money off that money. Your money is always working for you, right? Um, you know, it's just like anything. Imagine you, you work at a company, right? And you sell something and you know, typically your bill on that is going to be something like net thirty, like the you know payments due in thirty days. Um, this is you know business business kind of transactions. Um, you know, and sometimes what you'll see in that is you'll give a discount if they are willing to pay it within ten days or seven days or five days, um, because there's value in having the cash on hand um, for both parties. So it's the same kind of concept. Why would I want to give you $10 million today if I can hold that $10 million for 45 days and I can let that money work for me in some way, shape, or form, make a little bit more on it so my net payment to you is not really, you know, um, whatever number I just said there. Uh, <laughs> I say 45 million? or did I say? I know I said 45 days. Uh, let's say ten million. Um, you know, it, the net impact is a little bit less because you, you let that money work for you for a little bit of time. So that that's really the reason for it. Um, you know, and that, that's that that's really a big reason for why you're deferring those payments. Gavin, um, with a starting quarterback on a rookie deal, does it make more sense to use the all cash structure when adding talent and free agency? No. I, I think it actually makes um, more sense to go for it and figure out whatever the ways are that you can add the most talent possible because this is the time where you can deal with the salary cap fallout the best. So in my opinion, um, if I'm in a position where I'm going to draft a quarterback, I think the way that I really would want to approach this is when he's a rookie, I want to go out there and I want to spend a lot. And I want to make stuff happen as best I can to maximize my roster with talent. If that means void years, I'll use those void years. Um, I'll get creative as I can. And the reason that I'm saying that is because the window that you have with that rookie is pretty small. And too often, teams take this approach that's like, well, you know, he's going to be a rookie, let's wait until the second year, or we don't know if he's going to be any good, let's wait until we know that he's good, or let's wait until we know that he's kind of bad, and everyone's saying that we need to get help for him, and then we'll go and spend. It's like, you're just, in all of those scenarios, you're, you're kind of wasting your, your shot at it. You know, Given that most contracts, no matter what you do, you can get out of them after two years, as long as you don't do something incredibly stupid, what I'm willing to do is I'm willing to put my best possible team on the field in terms of resource usage in my player's rookie year. And I'll have those same players there in his second year, where I'm probably not going to be able to add much because I, you know, I, I just went all out spending but I'm going to get two years if that works and I'm going to let the team build whatever kind of chemistry. After those two years, the guys that aren't working, I'm going to move them out. And odds are I'm going to have salary cap space again in year three to where I can go and I can do it again. So I'm going to be able to put the best possible roster around him year one, year two. Then I'm going to be able to put the best possible roster around him year three, year four. And, you know, then, then you deal with the fallout as he moves on, um, you know, his cap charges start to increase. And, you know, the way that you can deal with the stuff, you'll still have an ability in year five to add some players to the team. It just might be you're going to have to be more cautious with it because of the way that you're going to be spending everywhere else. And the way that you maximize the amount of total talent um, that you can add in there is really by the prorating out some of that money. Now, I'm not saying go crazy. I'm not saying everybody needs to be a minimum salary and you get the most possible out of it, but um, I wanna be able to add the most players that I can. And remember, dead money tomorrow is gonna be less uh, as a percentage basis on the cap than having it buried in your salaries this year When the salary cap number is going to be lower for your team, so that's the way that I would do it. Um, People might have a different opinion, but that's the way that I would approach it. And um, you know, I just want to maximize my window. You know, I I think the Jaguars have done a good job with that. Um, You know, with the the way that they they tried to kind of build a roster out. Um, Now they they probably they they actually probably went a little too overboard um, with some of the spending. But, you know, I, I think they they did a decent job with it. Oh, let's see. i got a problem here. Let me see if I can fix this. All right, I think I fixed that. Apparently, I had an outlet go bad, which I did not realize until just now. I will have to fix that. Um, all right, so that's fixed. At least for now. I have my uh, laptop plugged back in again so I can record on this. Uh, <laughs> I got worried that it was going to shut off. Uh, okay, Davey, can I have some money? Sure, you can have some, just not from me. Um, Alex, how can someone be a post June one cut but get signed anywhere else? Um, this is someone who was cut before June first, but designated. Does it save money or push some back? So, the the post June one designation is just simply an accounting designation. Um, from a a like a, a real procedural standpoint, the player is actually terminated. The contract is terminated. It's just from an accounting standpoint, the NFL puts it on hold as if the player wasn't released. So that that's why um, they're allowed to sign anywhere. Um, for the team that has the dead money involved, yeah, it pushes it back. So you end up only keeping on the books the prorated money from this year um, in 2023, and you defer all the acceleration to 2024. Versus having to take it all in 2023. Be town USA moves. The Patriots should make, um, apart from Deandre Hopkins. I would think at this point, I mean, what what else are you really going to do? You know, it, it's, this is the time of year where, you know, it's kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. If I'm new England, I think I just carry over as much as I can the next year. um, You're going to have the most cap room in the NFL. So you'll know at that point if Mac Jones is good Mm -hmm. or is terrible. Um, You know, my guess is he's better than he was last year. Uh, But, you know, probably a very low ceiling kind of player. But you can probably build something around a player like that. And you're not going to you're you're gonna make better use of your money by, you know, if you've got 17 million in cap room right now and obviously that that cuts down as you get closer to the regular season, you know, you're better off keeping your 12 million carrying it over and just being in a position where, you know you can go crazy next year if you need to. Yeah. You know, hopefully you do a better job than you know, on day one getting talked into uh, the John U. Smith type contracts. But, you know, you can go out there and you can target free agents. You can have money lined up for your own extensions that you want to do. If Jones plays well, you know, that that's a guy that you can extend. Um, You know, you have the money if you you need to next year to make some trades. So if I'm New England, all my eyes are on 2024. Um, I'm just going to take 2023 as a season. That is what it is. Um, You know, you look at. Buffalo is loaded up for this year. Miami is loaded up for this year. Jets are loaded up for this year. And, you know, obviously Jets are going to be 20-0. But, um, you know, those three teams are loaded up, and they're all in a position to where next year there could be a major fall for all three of them. Um, You know, you you look at cap considerations. um, Let me just pull those numbers up. You know, for next year, it's like the Patriots are top in the league. Right now, the Jets are fourth worst position in the league. Dolphins, fifth worst. Bills, sixth worst. And, you know, Miami has a quarterback that's probably going to look for an extension. Um, The Jets, who knows what it'll be. You know, they might be back to Zach Wilson as their quarterback if Aaron Rodgers calls it quits. You know, if things don't go well... You know, they'll, they'll have a whole new coaching staff and everything else. Even if things go great, as I hope they do, you're still talking about a 40-something-year-old quarterback at that point in time. So if I'm New England, I, I'm looking at this as whatever happens this year happens. Um, my fate is probably locked in one way or the other. But, you know, I I'm putting myself in a big advantageous position relative to the other teams in the AFC East next year um, by holding on to what I can and just really being in a position to blow things out next year. All right, let's see. Next question. Derek, thoughts on David Tepper as an owner? Uh, he's a five-year stretch of mediocre teams, hired a college coach with limited N- NFL experience based on vibes. <laughs> also failed a construction project for a new team practice facility that rarely gets talked about. Um, yeah, right now you know I, I don't think you would look at the him and you know be too excited. Now one of the things first of all the, the one of the first things that you look at, you know does he get in the way? Um, I don't think so. So I mean once you once you have that I mean that, that's that's always a help that you don't have what seems to be a active you know owner. Active is not the right word. Meddlesome owner. You you don't. I don't. I don't think you have that. Um, you know the Panthers have. You know basically been. Um, you know around average in terms of spending. So I mean there there's been. Um, you know it doesn't seem to that there's been a issue with that. Um, you know he's got some good people in his front office. I think. Um, I, I think the issue that's there right now, and this is probably one of those things where, you know, you're getting used to, um, how you run a football organization, right? You know, it's no different than, you know, now it's a very public forum, you know, where we look at Elon Musk and you say, well, how in the world does this guy run Twitter? And obviously most people have been pretty negative on it, but it's a line of work that's not his wheelhouse, um, right? You know, he, he's innovative, you know, he's got these companies that make cool things and, you know, Tesla and SpaceX. Twitter is not, you know, it's social media. That's not his domain. Um, you know, being a football owner, maybe it takes some time, you know, to, you know, learn exactly how to do that and what what's a winning strategy you know other people go in a different direction like they they go and they hire the Sean Paytons of the world and you go okay do it doesn't mean that's going to be successful either Um, I think the thing that would worry a little bit about it is and this really isn't a worry but it's just that I, I remember when he came in and it was all that talk about oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big analytics guy You know, investor. It's like, a, you know, th- this is everything, data, data, data. And everything they did was completely opposite of that uh, with the hiring, with the decision-making within the organization. So, I mean, if you're worried a little bit about that, you, you could be, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be that 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 worried about it. Um, now, like I said, I, I think they actually have, built a pretty decent front office there um you know and it's just has to figure out you know what direction they they kind of want to go in um you know with a lot of the stuff that's there so but i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be worried about it at the moment yeah i wouldn't be like oh he's the greatest owner in the world but you know he he did allow them to purge the team of a lot of um what are probably mistake contracts that cost him, you know, to cost the team a lot of money, um, with no productivity coming back, but they didn't chase the sunk costs on that. I mean, that's kind of a positive. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's just, you know, you, you, you just say eh, it's okay right now. Sean, contract prediction for Higgins. Do you think they might let him walk? So, yeah, I, I do think there's a chance that they, um, they may let him walk. Um, you know i my opinion is if i had to choose between um higgins and chase i think i would choose higgins and i know that's going to sound crazy i think higgins will be more affordable and i think you could trade chase and get like a big premium back um you know that that's just my my opinion on it you know i i I think higgins is going to look for i mean mike williams got 20 so i mean higgins is going to look for you know at least that um let's see you got aj brown debo terry mclaurin dj moore you know all these guys. Now you see all these guys are considered like a number. Th- that's the one thing that works against him is, you know, people are not going to look at him as the number one. Um, you know, because of Chase. Um, you know, I, I'm just I'm just looking at the the players. Um, right now here i'm just you know mclaurin you know he can compare to that it's just again you know mclaurin if you you give it benefit of the doubt it's that mclaurin doesn't have anybody there playing with him um and tj morad he had the one year probably no he had multiple years in that so my, my assumption um My assumption is Higgins is going to look in that 23 range. Um, I, I think that's what it's certainly over 20, probably 23. Um, you know, I, I think that tracks with McLaurin, that tracks with Debo. And, and I know there's some differences there, but I, I kind of think like that's the that's the range that he's going to look for. I don't think the Bengals can do these deals to where you're paying him 23, Chase 25, and 50 million to the quarterback all at the same time. I don't think that's going to work. Um, I could be wrong, but you know, if it if it was me, I'd keep Higgins. I'd trade Chase knowing I'm going to get a big premium, I think, for him, um, where I'd don't think you would get that for Higgins. And with Higgins, you'd end up having to do um, tag-and-trade scenario, right? Because uh, he's a free agent. Is he a free agent this this upcoming year? I think he is. He's a second-rounder, right? Yeah, he'll be a free agent after this year. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that's what it'd be. But, yeah, I think the numbers he would be looking for are around 23 a year. Uh, what a fun guy. Could you foresee a time when the running back position is handled differently than other positions with the rookie contracts? For example, first-round rookie running back eligible for free agency after three. All the rookies um, eligible after two. No. that You, you can't. I, I don't think you can craft a whole set of rules that's all exclusions for that one position. Um, and even if you did, I, I don't know if it would really help them. It would give you less incentive to draft a player that's a running back if you did that um right because you'd be going from five years of cost control for every other first round player to three so you know i i don't think that would really help them either um but no i i don't i don't see any way that they would do that uh, Ricker, anything with Burrow and Herbert extensions? Are they waiting on each other to go first? You see a scenario where you need to get a deal before the season starts. So yeah, I could definitely see a, uh, scenarios where neither of them get a contract. You um, know, it all depends on what you're asking for. Um, you know, th- there's no real rush on the team's part, right? Um, you know, they're they're both under contract, two more years, right? Let me just make sure I have this correct. Yeah, so there's no real rush on their part. Um, I would imagine each one is waiting for the other. I I think that's probably accurate. But, you know, this is also that dead zone of the year. So outside of the franchise players, um, usually the talks don't heat up until... And I, and I know we got the Quinnin deal done, but the, the Jets do go to camp a little bit earlier than other teams. And they have the whole hard knocks thing. Um, you know, I think a lot of times those deals really don't get done until right at the start of training camp or, you know, a couple days into training camp, that kind of stuff. So I, I'm not surprised by it just because this time of year is usually pretty dead with everything. Um, so not not too surprising. All right, let's see a couple more here. And then that's it. Let's see what we got here. John, what do you think Roger's cap number is going to look like for 23 and 24? Um, I think it'll probably look pretty similar to what it would have been when the Jets originally traded for him. You know, something like 15, 16, 17 million this year, um, somewhere between 35 and 40 next year. And then a bunch of money deferred to uh, 2025 is dead money. Um Joey, how much money does Dalvin get and when does he sign? I guess he'll sign right before training camp and a couple million bucks. Um, I can't imagine more than six. Uh, I could easily see a scenario where it's as low as two or three. And I wouldn't be... Well, two million is what he's owed by Minnesota, so it would have to be more than two. It would either be less than two or have to be more than two. So it couldn't be two. Um, it'd either be for the minimum or, you know, a little bit more than two million uh, because all that salary is going to be offset. So probably three to four million base value is probably where he would be at. Um, you know, everyone is saying, well, you know, Dalvin Cook is mulling over multiple offers. If he has multiple offers on the table and he hasn't taken them yet, it probably means they're crappy offers, um, which means they're probably pretty low. And... You know, I, I just think that's what the market is. You know, I I don't believe, you know, where some of these other players you might see an injury and that increases their value. Um, I think even if someone gets hurt, it's not like you're going to go and say, OK, well, now we got to get Dalvin for 10. Um, I don't see that at all. So if I had to guess somewhere, three to five million tops and a couple days before training camp, I guess, starts. You know, maybe right at the start of camp, bring them in for the physical right then. Uh, Andy, is it possible to protect traded picks in the NFL like they do in the NBA? Like, could the Texans have said 24 first, top five? So that's a great question. And I've had this discussion before with um, someone. I don't believe there's any rule that prevents you from doing it. The NFL has just never done it. Um, But I, I don't think there's a rule from, you know, protecting your picks. Uh, I think it'd be an interesting wrinkle, um, you know, if if you had that happen. Um, but I, I don't, I don't believe there's a, uh, I, I don't believe that there there's a rule that uh, would prevent you from doing that. Yeah. All right, so that does it for me. Um, I'll probably try to do a podcast next week because I'm assuming the Williams numbers will come in. Um, so. That deal's probably not official yet. Uh, you know, they, they released the terms of the deal, but it's probably not official. I'm assuming Pro Football Talk will be the first to get their hands on the on the numbers once it gets uh, sent to the league. So I would guess it gets sent to the league Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. So uh, I'm assuming we'll get those numbers by then. So I'll probably do a podcast where we can talk a little bit about that. Um you know, see how much of that moved the market. My assumption is it's probably a slight move of the market, and this is probably your cap on the market now. And then you got the interesting Chris Jones stuff. And that, that's something we can talk about after we see the Williams numbers, um, you know, come in completely. Um, you know, then, then we can go more in depth on that. So um, so I think we'll definitely get a podcast in hopefully next week, unless I have something going on that I'm unaware of. Um So I think that does it for me otherwise. So uh, hopefully everybody will have a great week and I will talk to you all again soon.